By the way, that jacket that I bought, that I sent you guys a link, mm-hmm. that shit is amazing. You like it? Oh, yeah. Is it similar to the North Face that you have? Because no. you have like a, a thick, heavy yeah. one. No, this is like paper thin. Okay. It can fold into a Ziploc bag. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, so it's just like, it's does it have a liner at all? It's a, it's basically, it's a, it shuts out, I think it, like the, the tag says it prevents 90% of the air coming in and 100% of water coming in. And it's got like holes for the armpits if you want to open up to get more ventilation and stuff. But um, Taylor has one just like it. I didn't realize I bought the same one that she's got, but the the guy's version. Um, she loves that thing. She like lives by it because it's thin enough that you can wear just that mm-hmm. and prevent the wind and the rain. But if it's not warm enough, I, I put a hoodie underneath it and I put the jacket over it and it was still fine. And if it is warm, will you just go shirtless with that? You just zip it up, or maybe not even zip it up. Just go shirtless rain, shirtless raincoat. I'll, I'll zip up like like two thirds of the way, so I have a nice long V neck going. Okay, nice. <laughs> and you'll just let your big medallion hang. How did you know? Well, it's always weird when I first met you. I didn't expect you to be a person who have like big gaudy jewelry. But if you ever see Croyler take his shirt off, <laughs> he has this really thick gold chain, and the pennant on the bottom. I don't know why is Oscar the Grouch. Are are you a big Oscar the Grouch fan? I don't know if I know who the Oscar the Grouch is. Really? Wait. Okay. Here, all right. This is an interesting thing you may have missed out culturally. I, I I know you're familiar with Sesame Street. Yes, I've never seen an episode though. Okay. I know the idea. Kids you know, show Big puppets, Bird. You know, Yellow Bird, right? Yeah. Ye- Yellow Bird. Yeah. <laughs> That's his name. We call him Yellow Bird. Okay. Hello, Yellow Bird. <laughs> uh, and then there is Snuffleupagus. Okay, he's a big elephant that just looks stoned all the time. Oh. He has big bloodshot eyes. All right, so you don't know the Bert and Ernie. No idea. No, not Bert and Ernie. Wow, that's fascinating. Because you are in tune with most American cultural things, but not this one, apparently. Well, kids shows, one, like growing up, like my, my the kids shows, quote unquote, that I would watch would be like, you know, anime hit brazil far earlier than i ever hit in america so like you know the kids shows i would watch would be anime mm-hmm. and other than that believe it or not i watched a lot of movies i shouldn't have when i was younger and i don't mean like pornographic movies i mean like, like r and pg-13 type yeah, stuff yeah i mean like my, my mom she had me when she was very young so i remember an instance when the chucky Chucky's Bride or Chucky 3 came out whenever it was. I think it was Chucky's Bride came out and I was like 10 you know and my mom wanted to see that movie and my mom and I always had a great relationship and she's like let's go watch the movie and I'm like let's do it and it was a narrated movie it had to said all sorts of cuss words there are all sorts of horrible scenes that a 10 year old should not be watching and uh, she got to the movie theater and the guy's like yeah, you can't bring your son to this movie <laughs> And she's she basically told him to you know fuck off. And she's like, don't tell me how to raise my kid. I'm bringing him in here. She well in Brazil it's a little different, right? Here in America, like if a parent guardian is with you, they can bring you in. But in Brazil, like if it says R rated, like it is R rated. That child does not go into the movie. Like it's not like a parent choice. It's oh that's interesting. The movie theater dictates, you know. Who, so they're pretty who, strict about that. Not as much anymore. But when I was a kid, for sure. You know, but generally speaking, if your parent was with you, the the movie theater didn't care. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you got the stuck up person who wouldn't yield, and she basically told the guy to, you know, fuck off. And 
and you walked in and what did young 10 year old Croyler think of Ch- Bride of I, Chucky I love that movie I thought it was fucking great did it scare you no I thought it was hilarious okay all right, we have to go back to Sesame Street real quick because okay. it, it's funny. So many of the names I mentioned are iconic characters in child. Anyone who grew up in the U.S. from like 1970s to very recently. Um, well, but when I came to America, though, I was a teenager. Right. And and I had no reason to go look at kids' shows. Oh, yeah, I get it. It's, it's just funny because, like I said... There are a few, not a lot of times where I'm talking to you about something and I'll reference it, and you and you don't know what that is because, like I said, you 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 get most of American culture. Well, and but, I and I read and 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 there's a I had a friend in in uh, eighth grade in high school that um, wait you had a friend? Are you, hold on, are you making this up? <laughs> I don't have a lot of friends. This already I, is unbelievable. Yeah, no. Um, and they they used to make fun of me for like my accent, which is the reason why I, I've worked very hard to eliminate the accent was because you know and, and again they weren't like bullying me or anything. It was just teasing. But I'm such a perfectionist that <laughs> if somebody noticed that like I was saying a word wrong, I would practice that word until it was smooth. Right. And I I with that in mind, it wasn't because of them, but it was more I. I figured the more I learn about the culture, the better. And and I don't read just about American culture, and I don't just watch about American culture. Culture, but I, I read about all the other cultures to other countries and stuff. Okay, Elmo. Do you know Elmo? Yes, but only only because my little brother, my on my mom's side, who is way younger than I am, um, he had a the the red doll, Cookie Monster. I've heard the term. Today we are on episode. Who who are we first? God damn, I love I love how on point you are with this. <laughs> because I forget every time and you bring us as I said before, it, your job is to be the bringer of knowledge, the uh, the person in charge of the library of jujitsu, but also the guy who brings us back on path all the time. And we here we are, the start of the podcast, about to walk into the forest of knowledge. And I'm Andrew. And I'm Croyler. And this is Just Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. And if you want to reach us... Just Jiu-Jitsu... All right, now you're just showing off. <laughs> uh, just Jiu-Jitsu Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, anything else? I think that's it. I mean, my cue is over now. That's it. You did your job. Yeah. I'm just going to ramble for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> All right. So today's episode is episode 32, and it is on classic guillotine. I say classic because there are many different modifications, different versions of guillotines. Absolutely. Classic. To me, classic, we're talking two arms being used. Yep. What else distinguishes the classic guillotine besides two arms? Generally speaking, a classic guillotine is also called a, a low elbow guillotine. It's one where both elbows are tucked to your chest, um, not necessarily pushing away or raising or rotating, but just generally tied to your body. Um, classic guillotine can also be... Um, the traditional classic guillotine means that you're attacking just the neck. Um, later, I think in the early 2000s, Hanzo popularized the, one, the, the arm and guillotine 
which is it's a deceivingly technical technique that most people pull off in brute strength. The arm in or just the guillotine in general? The, well, both. Okay. But, but but particularly speaking of all the guillotines, the arm in guillotine to be to pull off with minimum effort and maximum efficiency is one of the hardest techniques to learn. And why do you think that is also one of the most probably um, misunderstood or just done improperly by people who think, oh, I just, I just like squeeze on this person. Guillotines in general? Mm-hmm. Well, I think rear nakeds are the same way. Right. Um, I think... Well, part of that is probably... It's that rear naked and the... Okay, here's one thing I want to address. Guillotine and guillotine. Guillotine, I've that, that's how I've always said that word. But then as soon as I started jujitsu and started watching MMA, it's guillotine. Is that it just tomato, tomato, I guess? I think Americans put different emphasis on different words. Mm-hmm. And um, guillotine is, generally speaking, a French word. Mm-hmm. Um, and Americans Americanized it. And then you got a Brazilians with a heavy accent that don't aren't necessarily super fluent in English trying to replicate a French word that's been Americanized. So, yes, I think you're going to have a variety of different ways of saying it because of that. Right. Well, we'll cover both both bases today. Guillotine for you, guillotine for me, everyone's happy. We'll do what we can. Or everyone's mad. Either way, we're covering all our bases. So, yeah, so the, the reasons that they may be misused so much is because that, just like the rear naked joke, everyone knows, everyone sees. Well, it's not so much everybody knows and everybody sees. Everybody thinks they know and everybody thinks that they, they recognize see it. it. Correct. So any this happens, and this is true of any skill in any sport, any martial art, any craft, anything that you do, any any technique that is hyper efficient will be underestimated in the sense when it comes to learning it. So any idiot can put their arms around your neck and squeeze really really hard and be successful with it. Because when you see it done, it looks so easy. Well, it's not so much that it looks easy. The, I mean, you look at a rear naked, right? So uh, guillotine, a good example, guillotine. So if you're if you're fighting somebody in a bar, right, who has never trained, for whatever reason, you pick the fight or they pick the fight, you got to defend yourself, you defend your girlfriend. For whatever, whatever reason. So there's a man with a mustache. Oh, no, we'll do that at the yeah, end of the podcast. Yeah. We won't get to. <laughs> so... Let's say let's say you shoot a double leg or a single leg. You're trying to take them down. They wrap your head, right? They may not know what to do. They may not understand what a guillotine does. They may not understand any of it. But they just they've seen it that if they put their hands together and they just hulk out on it, you know, on these competition events like the UFC, um, Bellator, and so on, that guys do this. It works. So they squeeze really really hard. And you go out because the guillotine is a hyper effective technique, like the rear naked. The rear naked is a hyper effective technique. The rear naked, there is no true effective method of escaping a locked on rear naked. Anybody listening to the podcast that you know thinks otherwise, please come visit. We'll bet you know a hundred dollars with anybody. Right. That if I sink in a fully ra- fully locked in rear naked, and we'll have somebody else count one, two, three, go, I will squeeze to, with all my might. If you get out, you make a hundred bucks. This is something I, 
you know. Hey, there is a there. challenge that you're putting out there. You didn't like the 30 day challenge, but mm-hmm. this one you're okay to stand behind. Nobody will take it. Mm-hmm. They'll say, well, if it's fully locked in, it's fully locked in. Yeah, but it's not true of all submissions, right? Um, because there's other ways to defend other things, you know, but a, but a rear naked is there's no escape. So why is it that when we watch high level athletes competing at the highest form in the UFC, Bellator, One, FC, etc., they you see people lock in the rear naked and people get out. How is how does that work? How does the most effective technique in jiu-jitsu that has no true escape fail live? Because people don't understand how to do it. Because they don't have to. Because 90% of the time, that technique will work just purely based on the hyper-efficiency of it. Much like a guillotine. That any, makes, idiot, any idiot can squeeze your neck. That makes sense then. So it's not necessarily like I was saying that it's it's everyone recognizes it and it looks easy. It's that you, let's say there are six steps to the guillotine you a lot of people can just get by with the first couple steps right and they can get someone to tap right so that's why it is not not misunderstood but just not used properly miss yeah it's it's uh, it's underappreciated mm-hmm. so if you look at let's say i'm teaching you a sweep right or as, as an example like our main close guard pass marcio's close guard pass mm-hmm. it's like 26 steps right Everybody says, like, oh, my God, 26 fucking steps. Yes, 26 steps. Um, but they all build to something, right? And they're all subtle. They're all small. They they make sense when put together. It's hard to stop it, right? That is a technique that you're going to pay far more attention to than a technique that I say, hey, here's three steps. Oh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yep. And, and a guillotine is very few steps, right? And even if you miss a few of those steps, you can still make it work. So there's no reason to really focus and develop it. Well, then that's tough as a teacher to how do you, to get people to focus on every step because it's we're, we're all lazy and we all think that oh I want to be as efficient as possible. So if I don't have to, if I can do this in two steps, why should I bother with all three steps? It depends on the person. So I mean, you've been to my classes where I teach guillotines or nakeds. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I we generally practice the first few steps and then we break and we come back and we practice the first few steps and then a few more and we build the technique that way. I don't just show all the steps because the technique is a short technique. It's easy to learn, but I want every step practiced and every step accounted for. Um, but generally speaking, let's say if I'm, let, let's say a Claude who's been with me since he was a body belt, never done anything athletic prior to, to training jiu-jitsu. Brown belt. Yeah, he's a brown belt now. He's a savage, right? And uh, it's easy for me to build him up perfect. So to my standard, to where I think that how he should be rolling, how the technique should be executed. And while he may joke around, he does listen. He will do the things I say because he sees value in them. That's easy. That's the easy student. The person has no prior experience. The guy that comes in, or girl that comes in, who has trained even three months somewhere else he has for sure either felt a guillotine or done a guillotine he will have a much harder time believing that every step matters because he may have been successful or somebody was successful on him by cutting corners and there's no reason for him to believe me because it's very hard to argue results Mm -hmm. right and you almost have to force a person to listen some people will others won't and that's okay, 
But as they go up in rank, you start seeing their effectivity drop because there's only a few steps. If you're cutting two thirds of them out and you, you're relying on that one step to count and your opponent is more skilled, he's going to cause a failure to happen. Right. Well, let's go through the steps of the guillotine. The traditional guillotine. Traditional guillotine. The nice thing that I like about the guillotine is it can be used on your feet on the ground you can use it in so many different spots very versatile one of my first wake-up calls with the effectiveness of the guillotine was i think it was maybe my second competition i shoot maybe within like two or three seconds i get a nice single leg and i'm thinking as i'm doing this oh that's a deep single all right good this is perfect i start to turn and sit him down and i'm thinking man he's going down this could not this takedown could not go any better and I didn't even notice that he had just sunk the guillotine in. <laughs> and as soon as his ass hit the ground and my knees hit the ground, it was secure. And I was tapping like a second later. I instantly realized that is nothing to be trifled with. No. It can be, not only is it effective, it can be applied so quickly. Walk us through guillotine 101. So I'm not going to walk through a setup because there's numerous different setups. Mm. I'm just simply going to assume that we are in a position where guillotine can be applied, meaning your armpit is on somebody's neck, the back of their neck, neck, right? So the very, very first thing we need to do is ensure that we have a proper seal and a proper wrap around the opponent's neck. What do you mean by seal? So any space, like very much like the cross-collar episode that we did, where we're trying to eliminate space between our wrists and their, their neck. In a guillotine, we need to eliminate space between our arm and their neck. Any space means that your pressure is wasted. You're applying, you're squeezing into air versus their neck. So, and this is a st- strangulation or a blood choke. Uh, that's a tough one because traditionally speaking, it is a blood choke. You are going to pass out in about five seconds. However, because of the nature of a guillotine, where it usually happens in high stress situations, you're defending a takedown or you're scrambling. Um, it's not always perfect, right? And the commonality of a guillotine, everybody sees it, everybody knows it's coming, they tend to fight it. So the odds of you getting a perfect guillotine are, are lowered, right? Which means that sometimes you can cause people to tap simply by eliminating the ability of air to go into their lungs. Okay. Um, but but it depends on how, how, how good you are, what is the level discrepancy between you and your opponent, the knowledge gap, etc. Um, so anyway, so you create a seal around their neck, meaning you have your bicep on one side of their neck and your forearm on the other side of their neck, meaning your elbow should be directly beneath their jaw by the Adam's apple one guys, bicep on one side, forearm on the other, armpit on the back of their neck, right? Essentially forming a triangle, so Mm. to speak. And at that point, it is very, very important that we raise that hand that is choking our choking arm. We raise the hand north to the ceiling as best as we can so that our wrist, our fist, is as far past their collarbone as possible. So as you apply that, the guillotine initially, you have that triangle. Their ideally neck is in your elbow pit and your palm is going to be kind of like right on your chest or something. Right, right. and we're going to move that hand as far north as we can. The more our fist or our hand can clear their shoulder, their collarbone line, the better. Because 
that means you're eliminating that gap. You're creating that seal, that nice tight wrap around their neck. How is that tightening or creating that seal? What's that action So, so if you think about it, um, <clears throat> let's say somebody's neck was 20 inches wide, right? And if you tight it nice and tight around, all you have to be is about 21 inches, right? And you could wrap all the way around. If you don't get your fist past their collarbone, because you're not trying to, it's not an emphasis, it's not a focus for you. You keep the hand low on your belly, as so, an example. So it's shallow. Right. Well, it's only shallow because you don't have that seal around. Essentially, you're allowing, you're wrapping the air, quote unquote, the air around their neck, making their neck artificially larger than it is, right? So by getting the hand up north, the only way you're going to do that is by squeezing your bicep and forearm, your shoulder, that rotation, that that rope, so to speak, wrapping around your neck, eliminating space. Okay. Any, any space between your arm and their neck will artificially increase their ability to move around and decrease your arm length. Is that a big? Is that one of the big problems you see with sloppy guillotines when you're watching someone? And what, you- watch the UFC. Next time you see a guillotine, I will bet you ten bucks that their hand will be below their nipples. Oh, so that's that's very low. That's that's at like that's like fifty percent through. Yep. It's it's incredible. It happens all the time. Meanwhile if you watch high level jujitsu, that is never the case. They always go deep. They're always Well if they're if it's not deep it's not worth the effort. Right? So, again, the hand clears through, goes past the collarbone, goes past the shoulder, as far as you can go, right? It's always going to be limited by size and length, of course, right? So you go as far north as you can. So you take your free hand, and you're going to grab the choking arm. You're going to grab your wrist, um, preferably your wrist. And then you're going to use your free hand to even cinch it even a little bit tighter, pull, pull even up north a little bit more. And the reason for that is because two arms are better than one, <laughs> you know? Um, so once once we've pulled and it's as tight as we can get, the next focus becomes to pinch your elbows to your body. And the reason for, for, for that is when we're looking to control somebody, we're, we're using muscular power in this situation um, to pull somebody's neck, right? To, to squeeze. The, 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 your strongest muscle groups in your body are, are your glutes and your dorsal, right? So by pinching your elbows to your body, you make sure that all the pulling power comes from your back. A lot of people pull their arms straight up, and that's a shoulder workout versus a back workout. Very similar to our cross choke that we, we, we in our cross choke episode. So we pinch the elbows to the body, and this is a traditional guillotine. Elbows to body, and then you, um, you'd find a way to secure the opponent's body, right? If they're on their back, they're pinned, you hip in, arch your back, it's over. If you're in the bottom, you, you get to half guard or a close guard, you toss the leg over their back so they don't jump to the side that you're the side opposite to their head, and then you hip in and arch your back and finish that way. If it's staying up, you squat a little bit and you arch your back and hip in because that's gonna create the extension. What taps somebody in a guillotine is the how to deliver the most amount of power in a guillotine is through an extension, meaning you're pulling their neck through their throat through the back of their neck because that creates a fold and it's a fold that chokes the person you're not like lifting up either well depends 
okay. if you go to a high elbow guillotine you could do that a traditional guillotine is a low elbow guillotine you arch your back arch and, your back and you extend your hips into the opponent what's that arching of the back doing again it's ex- it's creating an extension right okay. we're being taller than our opponent they can't keep up with us and so we're pulling their head away so if you think of um the blood vessels right um think of them as a hose if there's water coming out of the hose and without turning the spigot off how could you stop the water from coming out pinch the uh the hose it's the simplest solution right but there's another solution clog the uh the hose <laughs> sure but we're assuming that we can't just break pierce the opponent's skin right so how else could we stop the water from coming out pinch it clog it turn it off we're not talking about this spigot you have to obstruct it somehow. Pinch. You don't clog, have to obstruct squeeze. it. You can just stretch it. If you stretch it, oh. the walls collapse. So it's obstructing it, but you're 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 doing it in a different way. You're extending. Okay. Right. Your arms, your bicep, that flex there, that squeeze those elbows tight. That's you pinching the hose. Right. You pinch, and then you stretch. Okay. So even if something does squeak by your fingers. They can't go anywhere because the walls of that hose are collapsed. In all of this, we're talking about the first step. You sink in that first choking arm. Some of us will have issues where you get the first choking arm in, and then it's tough to get that second hand through. Absolutely. It's a huge fight. So in order of like popularity, guillotines were originally low-elbow guillotines. And then they became arm in guillotines because of that reason there's a shoulder there's an arm the opponent's fighting they don't want to get choked something's stopping you from getting that second so hand you go around it and this is where henzo gracie comes in henzo is i believe Wait, i've heard of him before right um i think henzo is probably the best front headlock slash guillotine person around like you all the the there's a number of enormously efficient people with guillotine coming out of Henzo's Donaher, Saint Pierre, all the Donaher's guys are good at guillotines, and even Donaher himself will admit to Henzo's influence. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, I believe it was Pat Militich. I don't know if it was Pat Militich. It was one of the old school guys that fought Henzo in this team 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 competition and Henzo uh, the guy shot a double leg picked him up in the air and Henzo guillotined him with arm and guillotine and this guy was a black belt in jiu-jitsu and he he had he he thought he was safe because the arm was in and Henzo choked him that that's one of the things I do like about the guillotine is it is something that you can it can be a plan b to a lot of different scenarios where I'm going for something and the opponent maybe starts to shoot towards me and if i start to if they start to go anywhere under my armpit and i feel like i'm losing control i can just fasten that arm down and a lot of times because that's i'm catching that at a point where they're moving forward and being aggressive their arm their neck is stretched out if they lead with their head and they lead with, yeah that you know what that's that's what it is anytime Someone leads with their head. There's a guillotine. You have the guillotine, and that happens so often. Yep. That's why I think a guillotine, I hit more often on aggressive guys than any anyone oh, else. It's the shy people that are tough to guillotine. Yeah, 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 you're right. The, the one-armed guillotine is one that I've, I've started to like lately, but that's a whole other episode. Yeah, so that, that's, that's like, guys, so, so, like, so if we talk about like evolution of a guillotine, mm-hmm. 
it does uh, the newer version let's say newer version eight the the modified versions of guillotine that have been modified throughout the last two three decades have been addressing issues so if you look at like a regular elbow low elbow guillotine what was the problem with a low elbow guillotine there are two things that will make that almost impossible to finish one is if you cannot uh, stop the opponent from closing the distance here's what i mean we talked about how in a, in a low elbow guillotine a traditional guillotine you need to create an, you need to arch and hip in essentially folding the opponent's neck and then pulling it through them right if the opponent can every time you arch to create distance between yourself and your opponent they can follow you mm. you're never actually creating distance right now it's not a great defense but it works right the other problem was the the their arm getting in the way like you talked about like the shoulder the gi their hand they're fighting so what was the solution developed for that arming guillotine right but it did not address the issue of the guy who you know keeps staying tight to you keeps staying so close that you can't ever arch so um and and the defense for a regular guillotine is to stop your opponent from marching, clear their guard, pin them, right? And then from there you can von flu or you can fight your arm, your neck free and so on. Enters Marcelo Garcia and the high elbow era. So Marcelo Garcia took a whole different approach with the guillotine where he went for a high elbow guillotine. And this meant that his free arm, his supporting arm, was no longer pinched to the ribcage. His supporting arm was now pointing to the ceiling. Why does that matter? Because in a in a high elbow guillotine, your opponent cannot follow you because there's always a barrier. There's always a frame between you and the opponent's chest, their form. It's always in the way. There's always a gap there. So even though you arch and hip in and your opponent may try to chase you down, they can't close the distance. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they can't stop you from marching, and that is a huge problem, right? Mm -hmm. So, what is the weakness of a high elbow guillotine? If you want to defend a high elbow guillotine, because there's a space there, they created that space, so you could not close that distance. They now have the ability to rotate, and guys will rotate to their back and belly up, and the um, high elbow guillotine will fail. Generally speaking, there's steps to it, of course. But when they belly up and the high elbow guillotine fails, most people are okay with that. That's an acceptable loss because generally speaking, you're inside mount, north and south, you're on top, you're dominant. Or if you're Marcel Garcia and you're good at north and south chokes, you just accept that and move on to north and south choke, right? Um, so that's an acceptable loss. There's no need to fix. But um, because these three styles of guillotine were so heavily studied, low elbow, high elbow and arm in. And if we look at iconic users of modern jiu-jitsu, as far as those guillotines go, for a traditional guillotine, we look at Crone. Crone Gracie is an incredible low elbow guillotine artist. Uh, most of his matches, nogi matches, end in guillotines. It's fascinating. He actually almost got Marcel Garcia with one. If we look at um, arm in, we look at, you know, Henzo as the iconic arm in guillotine guy. And then... For high elbow guillotines, we look at um, Marcelo Garcia, 
the the man himself mm-hmm. right now we have three people that are high level athletes in three different weight classes competing on all sorts of different platforms mma gi no gi whatever you call it right um different rule sets and they can become very very efficient with the guillotine what do we do anytime we we train jiu-jitsu we're really studying research somebody's done the work and because of that as time goes on we can improve on their technique right we can make developments that were led by them i'm not taking anybody's credit but that's usually how it happens right the arm bar that we do today is far more efficient than an arm bar that was done in ancient japan mm. right mechanics are the same but it's a little bit crisper it's a little bit sharper it's a little bit more tight more effective right are there any obvious things that have changed in it from the 1930s 40s 50s to now well application right i mean the technique is the same and the reasons why we're applying it are the same opponent leads with their head right but how we finish is very relevant to trend and ability you get a guy like crone who's a little bit more traditionally trained he's more likely to do a traditional guillotine and get it now he's very good at it so he doesn't have to learn a high elbow guillotine not that he doesn't know it he just doesn't have to do it he's so good at the traditional guillotine you see a guy like kenzo who was experimenting with guillotines in MMA, you know, he very quickly found out in MMA that arm is usually going to be in the way, right? They're not trying to pass your guard. They're trying to take you down or punch you. So he needs to address that. And then you have the arm in guillotine where you look at Marcelo Garcia, who competed over, you know, a, a large period of time on across different platforms at all sorts of levels. He's competing with the top guys in the world all the time. And those guys learned to defend army and guillotine. They learned to defend a traditional guillotine. So he had to be innovative. Okay. I've, I've been asking this question lately on the show because I, I'm just curious because you seem to have a pretty good idea of where the, uh, where, what trends are happening in like pro- professional jiu-jitsu. What, what's happening right now with the guillotine in the top tier of jiu-jitsu today? In gi or no gi? Both. Let's start um, with gi. With gi, it's almost non-existent unless there's okay. a huge level of discrepancy. And is that is that because it? I know it's I know it's it's kind of a at least for me it's tougher to hit with gi because you have the collar in the way. It's in the way. Yeah. There's cloth in the way, and there's more effective chokes that will essentially account for all the same things a guillotine would, meaning an opponent leading with their head, that are easier to get with a gi. So it, it's that sparse that you say it's it's just barely it's barely existing. In, in the gi is very tough. Not that you shouldn't, you know, if you're rolling in the gi, it does not mean that you should lead with your head. It just means that it's very very tough to pull off. There are more efficient chokes if somebody leads with their head in the gi than a guillotine. Okay, and then in the no gi world, at the highest level or at the lowest level? Uh, let's say, well, I mean, curious at the lowest <laughs> level, yeah. So if you look at blue belts, white belts, and blue belts. Um, I mean, guillotines for days, man. Any any shitty shot will let you in a guillotine. You can you can take a person off the street and teach them to do guillotine and put them in a local competition and tell them to just stand up straight up and super stiff and they'll win that they'll win that match every time. It's because it's familiar too. It's it's because everyone it's like a headlock almost, just a well, reverse headlock instead well, of it's it's a hyper efficient move. If you teach it at a low level and you say, Hey man, take this guy that sells your starbucks barista guy mm. say i'm gonna teach you guillotine and i'm gonna have you compete i don't care if you lose it just must be so weird when you go to starbucks 
hey man how's it going hey what can i get you i'm gonna teach you uh, i'm gonna teach you a guillotine uh, no man I, listen we're busy we gotta what could i get you i want a mocha frappuccino but let me teach you a guillotine <laughs> so you know you take that guy and you teach him a guillotine and you take him to a um take him to a tournament and you say hey stand straight up super stiff like you don't know what you're doing because you don't know what you're doing this is what they're gonna do they're gonna grab your legs kind of like this and you're just gonna lock the guillotine and then i want you to like squeeze like your life depends on it that would be that would be interesting to do i've done that really <laughs> yeah yeah i've done that because i've had I had a student in the past who eventually got his purple belt with me but uh he he started training and then like literally that week he's like i want to compete and i said all right man this is the plan <laughs> <laughs> and he won the damn thing just standing there it was out of out of i think five matches there were four four guillotines and one um one dq the guy got dq'd for attacking his legs as a white belt you couldn't do that back then oh uh like locks. okay yeah that that's funny so he just walked in stood straight up probably confused a lot of people because they thought what are you you're not even trying right but now the white belts aren't even thinking that far ahead they're, they're just, just thinking hey i'm supposed to do this all right, so so that's one tip out there. If you're just if you just started jujitsu, <laughs> it's a horrible strategy. If you just no, if you just started jujitsu last week and you are in a tournament next week, stand straight up and just go for a guillotine. Start watching a ton of YouTube videos right now about guillotines. Don't don't do that. <laughs> but but anyways, um, you know, so it happens a lot because at that early level, um, either you're gonna get the great the great wrestler who thinks he will not get guillotined. And we'll be overconfident and we'll get caught in it. Or you get the guys that are horrible grapplers who are shooting shitty double legs and getting guillotined, right? And then you get to like purple and brown belt, and then it's very rare because those guys are savvy. Either they're wrestlers who learn jujitsu, who are learning to protect their neck, who are shooting single legs over double legs, or they're guys that have only trained Brazilian jiu jitsu, but they're slick enough now that they're not going to expose their neck. And when you get to black belt, um, if there's a technical difference, high, uh, um, generally speaking, a, a knowledge gap there, guillotines are very, very efficient. Or or the other spot that is very common in, at a black belt level is when fatigue occurs. So um, when you take two guys that are very high level, let's say I'm going to use Keenan and Gordon Ryan as an example, only because they fought in ADCC two years ago. Both great grapplers, right? Great, great, great guys. Keenan outstanding gi guy great no gi guy gordon's one of the best no gi guys on the planet there's a massive physical difference between the two of them where gordon looks like he could bend a crowbar in half keenan looks like he could play xbox all day and i mean no har- i mean no offense to him because to me it's much more impressive when a guy like keenan can be successful than when a guy who can bend a crowbar in half is Right. So I, I don't I meant no slight by it. I literally meant that as a compliment. Right. Um so uh in that match, clearly Keenan was more tired going into than Gordon was. Keenan had bigger battles that day than Gordon Ryan did. Not that Gordon Ryan fought lesser opponents, only Gordon Ryan had less mat time. He was able to submit faster where Keenan had longer battles. That takes a toll. So you meet in the semifinals. Gordon is in great shape obviously an athlete you know he's had less mat time and you have keenan who again he's it's not that he's not an athlete is that maybe his physical preparation is not as good as gordon's maybe or maybe he is just as 
physically prepared as Gordon, but the longer battles took a toll, right? So he is trying the best he can to take Gordon down. And Gordon is doing the best he can to take him down because both of these guys want to end up on top for for obvious reasons. Um, they can't afford to be in a bad position. These they, Their opponents, both of them are super dangerous. So as the match goes on, I believe it's a six or seven minute match. As the match goes on, um, uh, Keenan is trying to single leg. He tries single leg to knee tap, sometimes with like a body lock. That's kind of like the thing he's going for. And he's got long legs, long arms. It's easy for him to snatch that, that single leg. But as the match goes on, he gets visibly more tired than Gordon. And he starts, his single legs start getting sloppier and sloppier and sloppier. And his body locks are getting sloppier. And his knee taps are getting sloppier to the point where um, he does get a single leg. He tries to switch off to a knee tap or a double leg. And Gordon wraps his neck, one hand in the neck. The opposite hand grabs his armpit, and he tried um, Kuchigari, I believe. No, not Kuchigari. That's the wrong name. Um, it'll hit me. Um, uh, Sumigayashi. He hit a modified Sumigayashi. So he had the headlock. He had the armpit. A Sumigayashi is a suicide throw. You basically, you fall to, depending on how, which style you're doing, you fall to your back or fall to your side and kick your opponent over you. Okay. So he does this and um, Keenan, again, I think too tired to fight, effectively fight, gets essentially kicked over. Gordon follows him to mount, rightly so, he should. And then when Gordon gets on mount, he's got the one-handed guillotine. He switches off to a, to a, um, a full guillotine, full um, traditional guillotine, low-level guillotine. And you can see Gordon Ryan, Gordon Ryan's muscles just flexing. Like, I guarantee that that squeeze had everything he could put into it. Keenan didn't even fight. He just tapped. <laughs> Rightly so. I don't think anybody would have fought. I mean, the guillotine no. was so deep. You get a guy who is probably immensely strong just ripping your neck. You're going to tap. You're tired. This guy's got you. He's obviously far stronger than you are just tap and go home with a clean neck versus a broken one <laughs> right uh, that, that's a good story to end this one with just the example of the devastation of a good solid yeah, guillotine absolutely uh so if you would give if you were to rate the guillotine as just a general technique out of five snuffleupaguses how many snuffleupaguses would you I, get? I don't know what that measure is. Remember, it's the stoned elephant from uh, Sesame Street. Okay, and is it one a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, yeah. Five would be great. One would be terrible. Two and a half snuffleupa guy, I think is what I should say for the plural form of that, would be, yeah, try it every once in a while. Oh, I, I would say that, every, I mean, if you're planning on doing this long-term, guillotine should be absolutely should be in your arsenal you may not like doing them but you should be able to do them so you would rate it what maybe a four or a five what whatever that word is <laughs> i just wanted to get you to say i i give the guillotine four out of five snuffleupaguses no it's okay no <laughs> <laughs> all right let's do a uh i think we might have a listener email or a listener instagram message you guys can also send us 
messages through Instagram. Our name is Just Jujitsu Podcast. Oh, that's right. It was an Instagram, and it was from Adam. Now, this is one that we won't really get into because I'm guessing we could probably do a whole episode on this. He just said he'd like to know about Hillian, who doesn't get talked about much, but seems to have been Hodger's coach when he was growing up and for a few other big names. Hillian is incredible. And here's the thing. I don't really know anything about him. Oh, Hillian's incredible. We could do a whole episode on him. Give us a snapshot, so like a teaser for when we do an, a Hillian uh, episode. Hillian is con- was widely considered in the family for years. Uh, it's it's up to debate now, considering Hajar is around. But for years, um, Hillian was considered the most technical Gracie hmm. out of anybody. Maybe not the most proficient Gracie. Not that he wasn't good; he was incredible. But it's hard to argue like Hickson. Hajar and so on but um, as far as technique for technique he was considered widely considered one of the best most technical guys in jiu-jitsu and the best guard in jiu-jitsu oh the best guard best closed guard pick your flavor man really yeah how old is he I believe he's mid 50s okay so when I believe he... I'm not not 100% so when was his reign when was he uh, so that's the thing. He, although very successful, and I think he's been undefeated. Um, I think he he went his whole entire competition career undefeated, white to black. Um, he uh, obviously quit competing when he got his black belt. He became uh, a very much teacher focused. So you can argue that maybe he just hasn't had enough competition. But um, he he himself will tell you. I mean, there's plenty of interviews around where he discusses the fact that. Many world-class black belts, world champions will even visit his school, and he has not lost a single training session in, like, 40 years. <gasps> All right. Well, we, we, we will do an episode on him. Thank you, Adam, for uh, mentioning that because I, I, I want to do it just for selfish reasons. I want to learn more about him. He looks the most like Carlos Gracie out of anybody in the family. Oh, interesting. In my opinion, anyways. Okay. We'll go back to uh, episode one, two, three. One of the first ones, Carlos Gracie. You can hear that episode. Well, that is going to do it for this one. Do you have any parting words for the uh, for the listeners? Well, just want to say like you love them; they mean a lot to you. Um, thanks for listening. If thanks for listening, we are. Oh, let's say this: we're in Elkhart, Indiana. If you ever want to come train, <laughs> we had we had a guy uh, send us a message on Instagram, very friendly, said some really nice things to us, and then followed it with, "Is it cool if I uh, if if we came?" He didn't say who we is so it could have been like him and like 20 people but either way uh we're anyone's welcome but he said is it cool if we come train with you guys and we said yeah of course yeah come 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 on in and i said if you're yeah come in if you're ever in elkhart he said oh wait i thought you were in new jersey i'm in new york no i'm sorry we're in we're in the middle of the country uh in literally in the middle of the country yeah in indiana so we're a, we're a couple bus rides away from from New York. Yeah, but everybody's welcome. Everyone's welcome. And I think you your deal is if if they show up to class, you'll reimburse them for their travel expenses. No, that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't say that? No, I did not say that. That is not endorsed. Well, we can figure that out when you guys show up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well thanks for listening everyone and we will see you guys next week.